morning is taken from Ephesians chapter 6, and I'll read from verse 5 to verse 9, and it's on page 920 of your Bible. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Thanks, Joy. Please go ahead and keep your Bible open to Ephesians chapter 6. Continue on in our series, Real Life. Um, last few weeks, we've been thinking about marriage and family, and then uh, this morning, we're thinking uh, about work. And just before we come to God's Word, let me pray for us as we seek to approach it with humility and for help. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for its promises, for its commandments, for its instructions, for its light. Um, Father, we pray that as we come before your word that we would encounter Jesus, uh, that you would help us to treasure him and trust him more as a result of our time here in your word. We pray for your spirit to illuminate uh, him to us through your word. And we pray for the grace and the help we need in order to live these things out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, so I want you to picture uh, a guy called Dave. Dave is a plumber. He's a, he's a Christian. Uh, he used to really love his job. He used to love the satisfaction of building things and making things and seeing his customers happy with his work. But lately he's finding work hard. That Monday morning motivation has just disappeared for him. He used to go the extra mile, but now he does the bare minimum that he can get away with. He doesn't see his work as being that worthwhile anymore. And on top of that, there's a shortage of work and he has a new boss who he finds harsh and intimidating. Dave's considering changing jobs, even changing career. Picture Dave come up to you on a Sunday morning. He shares where his heart is at with respect to work. What would you say to him? How might you help him begin to see the difference that Jesus makes to his work? Well, Ephesians 6, 5 to 9 really is all about how the gospel shapes our work. It shows us how belonging to Jesus totally transforms our motivation, our behavior, and our outlook on work. And what we'll see is that it speaks more to how we work than what we do. It's the emphasis of God's Word. It's more about how we work rather than what we do for work. It emphasizes character rather than career. And in these verses, you and I will find gospel motivation and hope for everyday work. So if you're a Christian here this morning, for the majority of us, work occupies most of our week. It's probably the thing that takes up most of our time. We, we might spend 
three to five hours here on a Sunday morning, a couple of hours during the week, but we might spend 35 to 40 hours in the workplace. How should we approach and behave in the workplace? If you're not a Christian here this morning and you're seeking to follow Jesus, then these verses tell you what it looks like for a Christian to work, what you should expect of Christians in your workplace, and how you too will be called to work should you choose to follow Jesus. These verses are here to show us how good work is uh, and to show how necessary it is because without the gospel in the workplace, workplaces will be dysfunctional and disordered. They won't be as bad as they could be, but without the gospel, they won't be as good as they could be. And maybe as a church, how do these things apply to us? Well, we need to equip ourselves and one another for a gospel vision of work its necessity, its opportunities, and helping one another to navigate the difficulties of work. And we must begin to view work as one of, if not the most significant evangelistic opportunity we have. Okay, it's important that we don't reduce evangelism to church-based events. Those are good. Those are important. But we can't reduce it to those. We have to recognize that we spend every day in the workplace with many people on a consistent basis who don't know Jesus. That's one of our primary places for evangelism. So as a church, we need to think about how we equip ourselves and minister to one another when it comes to work. And that's what we have in these verses here this morning. So the the response that these verses call from us this morning, the response that God is placing on our lives here this morning is this, to work with Jesus as our boss. To work with Jesus as our boss. The first thing we see then is this. If my work is shaped by the gospel, I will work wholeheartedly for Jesus. It's maybe helpful up front just to address the language that's used here around bond servants and masters. If you have an NIV, it'll say slaves and masters. This is something we've kind of thought about in 1 Corinthians 7 and, and previously in Colossians. The Greek word behind the word for bond servants there, some translations is, is translated as slaves, but the ESV translates it as bond servants to communicate the the more nuanced nature of the relationships that we might read about in the Bible. When we hear the word slave, we often minds go to kind of the the, uh, the, the 19th century slave trade, transatlantic slave trade or modern day sex trafficking. But the word slave here in the Bible covers a whole range of relationships. It's important to note that the whole Bible consistently and explicitly teaches that you cannot own another person, must not abuse or exploit them, Uh, another person because they were human beings created in the image of God. One place in the New Testament that teaches that, Exodus 21, whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. That's how serious it was. And then 1 Timothy 1 verse 10 in the New Testament, we see that enslavers are those who violate God's law. To enslave people is to violate God's moral law. And what we see actually in these verses and in other parts of the New Testament, like Philemon, is how Paul and the gospel was beginning to completely upend this kind of relationship. What it looked like. Considering that in this letter, as it was read aloud, it was very likely that the masters and servants would be sitting together on the pew, if you want to think about it that way. In Christ, they are considered equal. They may have even been sitting beside each other as they heard this letter read. So we see how the gospel is beginning to upend this kind of relationship. If you want to chat more about uh, why 
why it's not so explicitly spoken against or what it looks like in the New Testament, then come and speak to me. I can give you some resources to help you think through that. You might still have some questions. But all that to say, the key principles here in these verses can be most uh, accurately or, or most applicably applied to the workplace today. And not just the workplace as in the nine-to-five office workplace, school. Yes, Charlotte, school. <laughs> College, university, in the community, and in the home as well. So what's the first thing we see here? Bond servants, obey your earthly masters. So we thought about last week with, um, with parenting, obedience is stronger than submission. Submission is what we would think about when the context is a contract of love. Obedience is what is required when the context is a contract of labor. Again, obedience to authority in the workplace means we never go against God's will. We should never have to. If you look down at verse 6, doing the will of God. Okay, so obedience never means doing anything against God's will. So we're to obey, but what is the, the manner in which we're to obey and the motivation for obedience? Well, firstly, the manner. It's respectful. It's respectful. Verse 5, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. We are to respect those in authority over us. We show due deference. We don't bypass recognized chains of command and authority. We listen to those in authority over us. We don't act like we know better than them. We carry out their instructions. We complete tasks on time for them to the best of our ability. We do all of that even though we might not always agree with them. Is there a more distinctively Christian way to behave in the workplace than to not moan and groan about our boss behind their back with our colleagues? It's probably one of the most distinctively Christian things we can do in the workplace. So easy to do. What if your boss is not fair? What does respect look like then? Uh, well, it kind of made me think of one of my favorite uh, TV programs um, is Band of Brothers, and you have two characters there, Captain Sobo, played by David Schwimmer, and um, Lieutenant Winters. And uh, in early days in basic training, Captain Sobo was the classic drill sergeant. He was harsh. He was oppressive. He was unfair. He created unfair expectations. But Lieutenant Winters still saluted him and still obeyed his instructions. Sometimes it means doing things even though we might not think we're, they're totally fair. What if they're really unfair and unjust? Well, 1 Peter 2, 18 to 24 speaks more to that. So if you have time, you can go and read and have a think about that. We're to behave, obey respectfully and then wholeheartedly is the next thing we see. We're to obey with a sincere heart, doing the will of God from the heart. So with a sincere heart, doing the will of God from the heart. So we're to work not half-heartedly, but wholeheartedly. Sincere really speaks to single-minded. We're to be single-minded in our work. If our motives are divided, then, then our work will be too. We'll become lazy. We'll cut corners. We'll cheat. We'll become deceitful. We'll become dishonest, maybe even aggressive. We'll, we'll gossip. We'll be easily frustrated. We recognize as Christians that our behavior flows from our hearts, so we need to ask the Spirit to purify the motives of our heart that they might increasingly love God and love those around us in our workplace more. Often we pray, don't we, for help in hard circumstances and work? Let me ask us, when's the last time you prayed for your heart as you went into the workplace? 
When's the last time you prayed for your heart to be sincere, to obey from the heart? And one big indicator of a sincere heart in the workplace is honesty and humility. That's the next thing we see, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. That's what verse 6 says. A sincere heart works when no one is looking. A sincere heart works just as hard when no one is looking, when the boss isn't in the office, when you work from home, when you're self-employed. You might have seen that program before, Undercover Boss, where kind of big corporations, the boss goes undercover, maybe like a fast food chain or something, and the boss goes undercover into the back room. And you get a true picture of, the boss gets a true picture of how his employees work when they think there's no authority there. Sometimes it's good, often it's not. Christians are called to be those who work just as hard when no one's looking. And it means we don't work ultimately for public praise or recognition. Those things are not wrong. But if that is our motivation, then we are not working from a sincere heart. Respectfully, wholeheartedly, honestly and humbly, and then enthusiastically. You see there in uh, verse 7, rendering service with a good will. Enthusiastically, not begrudgingly, without sighing and grumbling and complaining which is so often our default, isn't it? It means being someone that our colleagues and boss don't dread going to ask to do something or ask for help from. Are we the colleague, are we the person who our colleagues and boss dread asking to come to do something or for help? Because we know, they know that we'll moan and complain and be begrudging and only do the bare minimum. That's the manner we are to obey, respectfully, wholeheartedly, honestly and humbly and enthusiastically. What's our motivation for that kind of obedience? How can you and I work like that when work is often so hard and our hearts are often so divided? They're often so weak. Our motives are often not great. Well, we can work like that when our motivation is Jesus, when we work ultimately for Him. If you notice as Joy read those verses four times, as you would Christ, as bondservants of Christ, as to the Lord, receive back from the Lord. So often in the workplace, our motivation and our identity comes from our work, our career progress, our achievement, people's praise. But the gospel offers a better way. It offers a more freeing way. It flips that upside down and says we work from our existing identity. We don't work for it. We work from our identity. That's true of everything in the Christian life. One author puts it like this. The the world says who I am is based on what I do. The gospel says what I do is based on who I already am. And who are we? We're born servants of Christ. We are those who have been freed from slavery to sin by the death and resurrection of Jesus. When we turn from our sin and turn to him in faith, we have been eternally forgiven and freed to live as servants of Christ. If you don't know that forgiveness and freedom, then come to Jesus in in repentance and faith. That grace and forgiveness is available. We therefore get to live out work 
obey from a place of security and from a place of assurance that our new identity in him is secure. In him, we find a renewed commitment and joy to our work. There's a freedom that comes from working from our identity in Jesus rather than for an identity from others or from the world. Our motivation is firstly because of our identity in Christ and secondly because of our reward from Christ. You see that in verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. So you and I work not ultimately for the paycheck, although that's a good thing. We don't work ultimately for holidays. We should enjoy them. We don't work ultimately for the approval and praise of others because sometimes we won't get it. Sometimes it'll be the opposite. We work knowing, verse 8, okay, knowing, not maybe, knowing that Christ will reward us for our work. The employee who works the extra unpaid hour to help a struggling colleague. The mum who continually washes her kids' clothes even though they are too young or too ungrateful to even realize that she does it for them. Our reward doesn't come ultimately from the world or from other people. It comes from Jesus. Reward from Jesus frees us to work even when there is no earthly reward and reassures us that it'll be worth it. So how does being in Christ and being rewarded by Christ make a difference to Dave particularly? Could have chosen a whole bunch of names, but Dave's pretty generic. Well, first of all, let's step back and consider that work is part of what it means to be a human being created in the image of God. Work is now part of his good works. If you flip back to Ephesians 2, verse 10, we see that we are saved for good works. And part of that good works includes our everyday work. So being in Christ, being saved by grace, means being saved for good works, not because of good works, for good works. And part of that means being a faithful worker in whatever context that, context that looks like. So work is part of his good works. Work is a good and necessary thing. We're created to work. God put Adam in the garden to work. Being human means to work. All work is good and dignifying, no matter whether it's plumbing or mopping or hoovering or teaching or banking or caring, whatever it might be. All work is good and dignifying. Because work is part of God's design, therefore we can expect it to be at times fulfilling and, and rewarding and enjoyable. We should expect that. That's why Dave used to find his job so satisfying. Yet the reality is that we must also realize that we work on the far side of the fall. So, whilst we can expect work to be joyful and fulfilling, we should also expect it to be hard. I don't need to tell you that. But we should expect it to be hard. Genesis 3, part of the curse towards Adam was this. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Pain, sweat, and tears will involve that. So, Dave, we should not be surprised when our work is sometimes hard, often hard. 
having unrealistic expectations of work in a cursed world will crush us. It will cause us to constantly question our career choice, even our own capabilities, instead of enduring and working with enthusiasm. Dave now has a new motivation. He works now to please Jesus. Jesus, who's already saved him, who's already stamped a permanent seal of approval on him, and who will ultimately reward him. Dave now knows his work is worthwhile because he was made to work and has been saved to do good works. His work serves, blesses, and preserves people in a cursed and fallen world. For him, that's by providing them with heating and drinking and washing. Looks like different things for all of us. And importantly, he serves to glorify Jesus. There's motivation for work. There's work that's worthwhile. All work is worthwhile. (coughs) Given the extravagant, extravagant and undeserved grace Dave has experienced in Jesus, he now has reason to go the extra mile in work not just do the bare minimum. He can approach work with an attitude now of, not not what's what's the least I can get away with, but because of the gospel of grace, his attitude now is, how can I love my colleagues and my clients and those I serve well? Not what's the least I can get away with, what's the least I can do to get the job done, but how can I love my neighbor well? That's the difference the gospel makes when it comes to work. Because his identity in Christ is secure, Dave doesn't idolize the approval of his colleagues or boss. So he is free to work honestly and humbly, doesn't need to be seen to be praised, but free to work away quietly and contentedly. Because Jesus is in control in the face of burst pipes, problems at work, job shortage, even the prospect of redundancy, Dave has assurance and hope that nothing is outside Jesus' control and that Jesus will provide for his needs. Because Dave ultimately fears Jesus and reveres him above all things, he's now freed from fear of his boss, who, though he may be harsh towards Dave, can never eternally harm him. Dave now realizes that it's not ultimately about what work he does, but how he does it. And that when it's done for Jesus, he can find fulfillment, joy, and satisfaction in it, even when it's hard. Dave realizes that just as marriage and family are not an end in and of themselves, but exist to make much of Jesus, he's reason not to idolize work or overwork, thereby freeing himself to love and disciple his family well, serve in the church, and give to the spread of the gospel. And Dave now recognizes that how he works, after having read Ephesians 6, 5-9, and had some godly Christians gather around him, he now realizes that how he works and what he says can be a powerful witness for Jesus. And that adds on a whole new layer of eternal significance to his everyday work, as a plumber. So I recognize you're all not plumbers. In fact, I don't think there's anyone here who's a plumber. But we work in different contexts, don't we? We work in the home, raising children, household tasks. 
We work in school, we work in college, we work in university, we work in the community in various forms, maybe we volunteer. We can even apply these principles to serving in the church, to work respectfully, wholeheartedly, honestly, humbly, and enthusiastically. Or maybe you're retired or unemployed. You still work in various ways. You don't stop working, so to speak, when you retire. You work in the home. You volunteer, maybe. Maybe you babysit. Colossians 3 reminds us that in whatever we do, in word or deed, we are to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So all that we do is to be done in his name for him, because of him, to him. So work is good. Work is good, it's dignifying, it's worthwhile. It can be hard, but Jesus transforms how and why we work. We get to serve and bless others. We get to use our earnings to support ourselves and our families, which is commanded in Scripture and is a dignifying thing. And through our resources, we get to spread the gospel too. We get to be witnesses for Jesus to our colleagues, both in how we work and what we say. Let me ask you to consider one of the most frequent questions you probably get on a Monday morning or ask in the Monday morning. A question we're also used to hearing, what did you get up to at the weekend? What did you get up to at the weekend? Let me get us to consider how we can answer that well. We might say we went to church at the weekend. That's a good thing. Let's maybe think about how we can answer that more specifically, more honestly. Maybe answer it with something that we learned from someone in church or heard from the pulpit or sang or how God's Word spoke to a particular situation in our life. Most of us will get that question pretty much every Monday. Let's use that opportunity well. So through work we get to witness. Let me just speak quickly or briefly to a significant thing maybe many of us face, maybe in our particular cultural moment, pressure to compromise our faith in the workplace. Let me just firstly recognize that that's not an easy thing. Um, I stand here as someone who experiences that, or we maybe all experience it to different extents in our workplace. How do we navigate the pressure to compromise our faith in the workplace? Um, A guy, Stephen McAlpine, in a book he's written called Being the Bad Guys, draws on Daniel to say three things. Maybe these are three helpful things to keep in your mind. Uh, Daniel is a good place to go for that kind of thing. But he draws on three things, faithful, faultless, fearless. How do we maintain our witness in the workplace when we come under pressure? We're called to be faithful. We're called to do God's will. It means we choose not to compromise. It means knowing when and how to take a stand. And I don't pretend that that's easy. But we're called to not compromise, and we need to know when and how to take a stand, and we do that with the help and wisdom of God's Word and other Christians. We don't have to figure that out in our own. So we have to remain faithful, and we get to remain faultless. One of the most helpful things we can do when pressure comes in on us is live in such a way that the, the mud doesn't stick, so to speak. It means that if we are disciplined or demoted or degraded or even made redundant, for our beliefs, 
It is in spite of the way we live, not because of how we live and work. And thirdly, be fearless. It means fearing God above all things, above all else. When God's opinion of us carries more weight than that of our colleagues, of our boss, of our classmates, then we will grow in being able to respond fearlessly, confidently, and compassionately. So we've seen how Jesus transforms our work as an employee, as a pupil, as a student, as we work in the home. What about those who exercise authority or leadership in a work environment? Well, that's the second thing we see. My work is shaped by the gospel. I will work sincerely for Jesus. And secondly, I will boss beneficially under Jesus. Verse nine, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So positively, bosses are to do the same as workers. You notice that in verse 9? Do the same to them. All that's been said of workers applies to bosses. They are to work respectfully, wholeheartedly, honestly, humbly, enthusiastically for Jesus. There is an aspect of mutuality in the workplace. Even though the roles and the authority will be different, there's an aspect of mutuality. Both are working. So the same principles apply to bosses as to workers. So that's the positive exhortation. Do the same as workers. And then there's the warning. Don't threaten. Don't threaten. Paul addresses the the tendency of those who are given authority to lord it over those under us. It's not always the case, okay? That not painting with a broad brushstroke, but the tendency of our hearts is to take authority and use it to lord it over others. Uh, When I first started working in Scotland, I worked in an environment where um, many of my colleagues used to talk about, and I'm not trying to stereotype here. They talked about West of Scotland management style. I heard that many times. They talked about the West of Scotland management style. Abrupt, demanding, harsh. I know that's not always the case. I had some good bosses. Yeah, I saw that. I was sometimes on the other end of that. And even local headlines over the last year evidenced that those in authority often exercise that authority in a harsh way. So here's the warning for bosses. Don't abuse your authority. Don't punish harshly. Don't create unfair or impossible expectations. The call here is for bosses to treat their employees with respect, with fairness, to boss beneficially for the sake of their employees. This was totally countercultural to the context that Paul's speaking into here. It's to see your authority as a means to serve your employees, not suffocate and stress them out. Why? Why are bosses or those with authority in the workplace to do this? Because Jesus is your master. Bosses have a boss. His name is Jesus. And he will hold you to account for how you, we use our authority. He will judge with impartiality. So the verse tells us. 
Doesn't matter how big a boss you are, how much money your company makes, how many employees are under you, how much status you have, you'll be held to account. So here we see warning for the master and hope for the worker. In a world of abusive and often oppressive work, the gospel promises accountability. In a world where authority is often harsh and unfair, the gospel calls for grace and gentleness. So, bosses, your authority is not a bad thing. Your authority is not a bad thing. It can be a great thing if you manage people to the glory of God. You get to provide work for people, giving them purpose and dignity, enabling them to support themselves and their families. You have a unique opportunity to help nurture a healthy, humble, and enjoyable work environment. And yes, you must hold your employees accountable. This doesn't mean you get, let them get away with whatever, but you also get to affirm them and encourage them when they've done a good job. You get an opportunity to influence decisions in the workplace with biblical wisdom and morality. You get to encourage and nurture people's gifts, which are being used to bless and serve the world. You get to show what Christ-like, humble, servant leadership is like in an environment which just does not expect it. And all the same gospel promises that apply to Dave, that applies to workers, they apply to you as well. Jesus is in control. Jesus provides. Jesus is gracious. Jesus is who we should fear. And he is gracious towards us and loves us no matter what. So whether we're workers or bosses or both, whatever that context looks like, the nine to five, at the desk, in the home, in the school, God calls us to work with Jesus as our boss. Remember the, remembering that we work from our identity in Christ, the one whose work for us on the cross graciously saves us and frees us from our sin, the one who continues to work for us as he's at the Father's right hand interceding and mediating for us, the one who continues to work by bringing creation to its consummation and renewing it, the one whose work frees us and equips us to do good works. In Jesus, we have true and lasting motivation to work because we are ultimately doing it for his glory and for the good of others. That leads to joy and endurance even when work gets hard. Let me just pray for us before um, I invite Derek up to lead us around the Lord's table. Father, we thank you that you give us the grace we need to live these things out. We've considered over these last number of weeks what it looks like to live out our faith in, in, in marriage and in family and, and in the workplace. Father, these relationships, these contexts which take up so much of our time, Father, we often find it hard to live out our faith in these circumstances. But we thank you that in Jesus we have all the resources we need. We have forgiveness, we have grace, we have help, we have strength, we have the Spirit. Father, help us to obey these things with joy and with faithfulness. Help us to be those who would evidence a Christ-like character in our workplaces as we go into them tomorrow. Help us to obey wholeheartedly 